by David Smith of The Athletic. On this episode, a quick review of Texas and an idea of who would fill out the most exciting title race at Homestead, NASCAR's version of the BMF title, don't worry, we'll explain, and our Phoenix preview. But first, as always, this is episode 42 of Positive Regression. This is the Kyle Petty edition. Yes, Kyle Petty, that third-generation driver. Kyle Petty had a long NASCAR career, and from 1991 to 1994, he drove an awesome, memorable, number 42 mellow yellow car. David, just an awesome paint scheme. I believe in that car was his prime. I'm sure you're about to tell us, but it's certainly the prime of paint schemes from what I remember. (laughs) Okay, so on that paint scheme, black with yellow lettering and numbering, you can take my word for uh, the notion that that is my favorite color combo, or you can just look at the positive regression logo as evidence for that, because this car was beautiful, and please don't discount uh, the peak antifreeze, number 42, the uh, I think it was like a, a dark blue with pink, and the uh, the Coors Light number 42 that came after the mellow yellow car. All of those paint schemes came for him in the same decade uh, in the 90s, driving for Felix Sabatis. Kyle Petty um, didn't put up the wins, um, and I want to get to that in a minute, but certainly put up the memorable schemes. I think he, his his paint schemes embodied the 1990s. Absolutely, especially that first Coors Light one. He won in with it uh, in Dover in 1995, I remember. And it had that weird, I think you would call it pink and blue, right? I mean, who remembers the Coors Light cars? Pink and an, an odd blue, a very 90s paint scheme, even with the Coors Light scheme uh, initially. Uh, but yeah, you just remember the long hair. You remember, you know, the mellow yellow scheme was in Days of Thunder, and then you see it on the track. It, it just all came together something really cool. Yeah, and I mean, he was just – when I think of Kyle Petty, I invariably think of fun, right? The, the, you know, the guy's got a ponytail. He's clearly uh, <laughs> clearly loving life, you know, if you're, if, you're, if you're going in that route. You know, I had uh, this conversation with uh, my dad a few years ago, and we were talking about Kyle Petty's career. And I think for – a large number of fans, they compare his career to his father's career. And that's just, that's just not fair. There, there is no comparison, but there is the thought that Kyle Petty was not good. But Alan, I want to posit this to you. He won eight races in his career. Now, I don't think you can fall ass backwards into eight wins. What is what is the threshold for for saying that okay this was legitimate this is a, this is a, a a win total that you cannot deny I I feel like he passed it he did win at Rockingham three times which has always been hailed as a driver's track but I just I don't know where do you sit on that is there is there a number threshold for you well it depends on how long you've been racing I mean you have to figure figure that in too I mean. He has a 30-year career and eight wins. And look, those weren't all full-time seasons, but in 829 starts, he has eight wins. I mean, is that lighting the world on fire? No. Did he have a short but small prime in the early 90s, which you always want, I guess? Yeah, I think he did. He was a contender. But after that, he wasn't in the greatest of rides. And so it's hard. I mean, eight wins is more than a lot of people, right? It just It's hard when you get that last name Petty. I'm sure there's 
the, the expectations are just thrust upon you like that. And, you know, he was in the, the Wood Brothers for a while. Uh, I just think the expectations that came with it out of a petty, just to having that last name, you expect more than eight wins. But the, the, the eight wins were quality. I don't know. It's hard for me to judge. Yeah, and and I will speak to what was, I mean, probably his best season, certainly the, the season most likely to garner a championship, 1992. He earned a 2.310 production and equal equipment rating. That's, you know, nothing to sneeze at. And he had 17 top 10 finishes that year. Alan, I say that because... Alan Kowicki, Davey Allison, Bill Elliott, and Mark Martin also earned exactly 17 top 10 finishes in 1992. That's one way in which that was a weird, close, awesome season for the ages. And uh, Mr. Petty, Kyle, not Richard, was very much a part of that. Um, uh, in position to, uh, potentially win the championship on the, the season's final day. Um, didn't get it done. I think he broke a camshaft and, uh, fell out of that race early, but, um, was, was in position to do, uh, something pretty incredible. Yeah. I mean, look, let, let's face it. 1992, he was a player in that era, right? He was a, 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 a potential race winner and a potential championship winner in that era, in that, in that early nineties era. And David, a little personal story here. Uh, you know, always wanted to be uh, a television guy, always wanted to cover NASCAR. And during an internship in Elmira, New York, I believe in 2003, the first NASCAR driver that I ever interviewed at a Walmart in Elmira, New York, was Kyle Petty. And he was there doing a signing, and he's the first person I ever interviewed as a somewhat professional, even though I was an intern, they let me ask the questions. And I remember this was just after the chase format was announced. Remember the initial chase format is where they kind of reset things after uh, the regular season, if you will. And then the final 10 races, however you did, however that was, you know, tallied up, that would determine the champion. The initial chase format is what I'm talking about. And someone went back and did the math. And under the initial chase format, I got to tell Kyle Petty this, he would have been the 1992 series champion. Can you imagine thinking back in history and thinking Kyle Petty, NASCAR champion? I, I'm, wait, what was his reaction? Uh, he, he was very diplomatic about it from what I remember. God, it's 15 years ago at this point. But what, just one of those reactions like, you know, you can't go back and do the math. It is what it is, yada, yada, yada. But I just thought I was really cool as a young buck trying to throw this at him. I don't know if he liked it or not or if he even remembers it because uh, I wouldn't bring that up to him now. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, I mean, look, that's a, yeah, that's an interesting story. How do you not remember your reaction? It's your first interview. You just you just gave me the entire details. Elmira, New York, Walmart, and then you can't remember what he told you. Alan, come yeah, on. You're it, it just wasn't over the top. It's not <laughs> like he, he, he whined about it or if he said, oh, what could have been? He was very – what I remember him being very diplomatic about it. You know, it is what it is. That wasn't the form format back then, you know, you know, kind of great to hear. Now move on. You know what I mean? Like, great. I would have been champion. Wah. You know what I mean? It, it was, yeah, it didn't garner so much reaction from what I remember, but I, that, that has always stuck with me is that for the P I know people who hate and go back and do the numbers and everything, but uh, in 1992 on the initial chase format, Kyle Petty would have been the champion. Moving on. Let's review Texas, Texas playoff race kind of, Another person punches their ticket to Homestead. David, I don't know if I should be surprised. Kevin Harvick is now in the championship four. 
if you pay attention, this shouldn't be a surprise. If, if you just pay attention to what, you know, he'd won the last two Texas races. If you know by listening to this podcast and following all of David's good work, he had the fastest car in the playoffs, yet the results weren't there, David. So on one hand, I feel like I shouldn't be surprised if I'm paying attention to the work you're doing. But at some point, I still feel kind of surprised that he just went out there and whipped their ass. And now he's Kevin Harvick in Homestead for the fifth time out of six years of this format. Should I be surprised or not? Uh, well, I, I think you are surprised. Do you know how I know you're surprised? Ow, because ow. on this podcast last week, I said, and I and I caught this on the edit, I said I still like Kevin Harvick to make the championship four. And you gave a what? And <laughs> here's the thing. I've, I've, I have edited you long enough now to know when you are just trying to sell it to our listeners or you are legitimately baffled and you're what? Yeah, that, no, S- screw you, Alan Kavana. I, <laughs> I got this right that I told you that was going to happen. You look, I don't do the speed rankings all year long to not assume the fastest driver and team are going to be in the championship four. It just so happened he pulled it out this weekend at Texas. Now, on to the serious stuff. What what does this mean going forward? I don't know. I, I don't know that we can just forget everything we've learned about how strong Martin Truex was in the playoffs, uh, because at this point, both of them are locked in the homestead. And that is one race, one race to decide the champion. Can Kevin Harvick's team execute better than this well-oiled machine for Martin Truex for one race? Yes, they absolutely can. So I'll, I'll say that, that what is next is figuring out how to best execute, but that is entirely on this number four team. Do they attempt to best the 19 team at their own game, or do they focus on what they already do well, especially relative to Truex? And I, I think over the whole of the year, that probably is speed. Yeah, we, I mean, we've seen it. If again, if you paid attention, listen to this podcast last week, you know, Kevin Harvick and, and Truex were tied in the playoffs for the, for the fastest speed. And then Kevin Harvick kind of outdoes everybody at Texas and shoots himself up alone to the fastest car in the playoff and fastest car overall, uh, this season. So w- what else does Harvick do better? What else does Harvick's team do better than Truex other than raw speed? Is there anything you would point to? Yeah. So, I mean, so we did compare the speed last week and we explained how Truex's team with some rational omissions has been faster over the course of the playoffs. Over the course of the season, though, Truex had the fastest car in a race seven times. Kevin Harvick had the fastest car in a race eight times. We are probably being suckered into the idea that because Harvick's peak races where his speed was at its best were more evenly distributed, that Truex, faster during the playoffs, is better. And maybe that's true, right? Because this is the time of year that matters the most on the NASCAR calendar. But it isn't fair to assume that Kevin Harvick and his team are at a considerable disadvantage. So the two are very similar, Alan. Combined, 
they've dominated the ends of playoff races without you really knowing. Uh, six of eight races so far uh, where one of those two drove the fastest car hmm. in the fourth quarter, okay? Harvick's lack of wins, if it surprises you, it – I don't know. It, it shouldn't. Uh, Harvick um, wasn't a big winner in the year that he won the championship. I believe he won Charlotte. He won one other race. Or I want to say Phoenix before he won Homestead, but that wasn't – that wasn't as dominant as you recall that season being from him. It's just not what they do. They kind of feel their way to the final race. They've done it every year but once. This season on the mile-and-a-half tracks, Kevin Harvick is much faster than Martin Truex. Hmm. Harvick uh, ranks first in the series, averaging a per-race ranking of 4.7. Truex ranks seventh with an 8.3 average ranking. Truex has the better driver production. He has the better passing numbers, the better restart numbers, and he might have the more malleable team. However, the sheer speed of Harvick and, and the number four team means that although they aren't favorites, they won't be easily dispatched. This is strong opposition for Truex and Cole Pern in the 19 team. I think this is good for fans who are going to watch this race because we know now that two of the four possible participants are at a high level. And the most we can ask for is four. We certainly have two. Um, I, and I think if, if listeners hadn't already been considering Kevin Harvick as a viable threat for the championship, just because of the silence in the playoffs, um, it might be time to reconsider. All right. So we have two tickets punched, uh, two very good drivers, obviously, performing at their highest, and that's why uh, they are likely there. But two more to go, David. So let's fill it in, or let's, let's try to fill it in. Maybe a little opinion, maybe a little stats. Who do we think fills in or makes the best and most exciting homestead race? There's six drivers left that potentially qualify. Well, let's pick two. And who makes the most exciting race along with Kevin Harvick and along with Martin Truex? I'll let you go first. Okay. Uh, not that, not that they both can make it in given where they stand in points, but I think the answer is Denny Hamlin and Kyle Larson. Hmm. I, I wavered between Larson and Chase Elliott, but ultimately because of what Larson could do at Homestead, uh, he's been exciting there, albeit winless in years past. Uh, I, I, I gave him the nod. You know, for, for Larson, after a sluggish start to the season with his passing, he's cleaned it up. He's now a plus passer in addition to his restarting numbers, standing much better, more Larson-like in the second half of the season. And similarly, Denny Hamlin is the top driver per production and equal equipment rating, thanks in part to his efforts in the second half of the season. And for him, this has been his most complete year just in terms of peripheral stats, like getting all of the details correct. Between the two of those guys and Harvick and Truex, this would give us a strong championship for not to diminish how well uh, Alan Gustafson's strategic stylings could go on behalf of Chase Elliott in a finale, but I just wanted to put 
the onus on driving. I want to see the four best drivers at Homestead. What say you? Uh, you were close. Not entirely correct, though, because uh, I'll agree with you on Kyle Larson. Look, Kyle Larson, I interviewed him this week for Race Hub. And, you know, it's something we may know anecdotally, but when I hear him say Homestead is my best track, I believe him. And so if we're talking about an exciting race, an exciting Homestead, an exciting championship run, uh, I want a driver who believes that is his best track. So that, that's just, that's cool to me. I'll sign off on that. He's got three top fives and six races, 325 laps led there, some good speeds. He would be competitive on a mile and a half track like Homestead. He's shown that this year. So I'll agree with you on Kyle Larson. But if we're talking excitement, David, we need something of a heel. And that heel, not from my aspect, but from many fans, would be Joey Logano. You need Joey Logano in a race like this. Someone who, uh, you know, he's the nice guy off the track, but he can be the aggressive guy on the track. And what I'll use to prove that is he's the, you know, amongst the regulars, amongst the guys we're talking about, the best restarter from the non-preferred groove that to me says aggression and skill. And that's what I want to see in a homestead race, especially maybe late, late in the race. He's got good speed on tracks like homestead this year and good passing numbers on tracks like homestead. So you combine that with a, a non-preferred, you know, groove restart, someone where you have to be aggressive, you know, generate a little excitement and you have people who may not like him kind of booing him. I think Joey Logano needs to be in the final four for the most excitement. And he comes with glasses now. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So, I mean, I actually, I, I do like your pick, but for me, for just even on the restart notion, it seems to me that the entirety of the playoffs for him, he hasn't been able to go out and just smack the field. Like the, the four, the four guys that I have have been able to do that. The, the 22 team has sort of outlasted everyone. And that gives a good juxtaposition. I mean, I, that feels a little bit like how he won Homestead last year. Um, so I, I feel like you're going for just different styles that complement one another. I'm just going for, you know, four guys going head first into one another. So yours might actually be more cogent. I don't know. All right. We shall see. Neither of us picked Kyle Busch, which is interesting, either for stats based or the entertainment value of it. I don't know. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, that's, I mean, that's just kind of where we're at right now, huh? Maybe it speaks to the fact that that's just kind of how we felt, uh, about them during this playoffs. I wrote about him for the athletic this week, looking at his fourth quarter speed rankings. They rank as the 13th fastest car during the playoffs in the fourth quarter of races. And that just does not sound like a team that's anywhere near competitive enough to be in the championship for. Now I know I was one of the people uh, really putting my foot down towards the end of the regular season, um, talking about how strong they still were, but these, these are now numbers that you just can't ignore. Um, I know they're in good points position going into Phoenix, but you know, uh, now now seeing what we've seen from them in the playoffs, I don't even know if that cushion is secure enough. We shall see in a few days when the checkered flag falls at Phoenix. Next up, this should be fun, David, because uh, this is a David Smith idea. Uh, David, you're a big UFC fan, and UFC came up with a pretty cool concept uh, last weekend with its BMF. Uh, title belt, really, and it was a fight. So I'm going to let you take it from here because we are going to apply UFC BMF 
to NASCAR. So explain this. What are we doing? <laughs> okay, some backstory here. Uh, the UFC, which is mixed martial arts, for those that aren't familiar, uh, they host pay-per-view fight cards. The main events of those cards are often championship fights. Uh, there are about 10 or so weight classes, so lots of options there. If a champion can't fight, they usually create interim titles that become confusing. I think at one point there were two different interim welterweight champions. That was, that was weird. But, uh, to the rescue, uh, recently came Nate Diaz and Jorge Masvidal. Both are fan favorite fighters. Both aren't quote unquote commercial talents. They aren't afraid to speak their minds, not afraid to engage in risky fights, not afraid to get bloody. And they had a mutual respect for one another, so they wanted to compete against each other. This was not a manufactured rivalry. They didn't hate each other. They didn't try to run over someone with a bus or have a throwdown in a garage somewhere. Just two guys that wanted to give it a go. And it was Nate Diaz who dubbed this fight for the BMF title, the bad mother effer uh, of the UFC. And UFC marketing had some fun with it. They made a belt. They brought in The Rock to present the belt to the winner. And they held the fight at Madison Square Garden. It was the first scheduled main event of a pay-per-view to not be for some kind of weight class championship in what feels like forever. And it was a lot of fun. The early returns <laughs> indicate it did uh, very well for itself, uh, gate-wise and pay-per-view-wise. So, as we are prone to do, we're going to uh, have a flight of fancy here on Positive Regression. Alan, this is just for fun. Let's create our own BMF race. Let's choose four drivers, the track, and the trophy presenter. But, Alan, I want to hear... I want to hear your picks first. Okay. But before I do, please give me your definition or bullet points for what constitutes a bad mother effer in NASCAR. This is tough, man, because I was thinking about it and, and it's hard to put into words. It's one of those things. What is a BMFer, right? You know it when you see it. And that's how it, that, that is what I'm going to lean on in this. But it was some, it'd be someone I would pay to see. Right, who I'd want to go and and put my money down and watch race from the stands. Uh, you know, I think about it that way. Uh, someone who has a unique style that you can kind of really pick out amongst a crowd. Sometimes, uh, you know, I want to see that. Uh, that that's what I want to focus on. If I'm focusing on one driver and, and someone, I just think of you don't. If you were a competitor and you're lining up on a restart late in a race, that, that you wouldn't want to see behind you. You know, kind of a conglomeration of all these type of things. That's yes. what I would dub a, a racing BMFer, right? Um, so that, that, that was my definition when I was coming up with my list. So, uh, you want to go one for one or should you want me to give, give you all four? Yeah. Yeah. Hit me with all four. Okay. Well, here is my list of BMFers in the top series of NASCAR right now. First and foremost on my list, I would put Brad Keselowski. Brad Keselowski, to me, a scrappy guy. He kind of encompasses the the whole Penske, me against the world attitude. 
Uh, I believe he, he is feared because even though people may not like him, even though he may not be, uh, I don't know, just not the popular cool guy maybe in the garage. I think his skills are feared, especially at a place like Talladega or you think back to Texas a few years ago when he'd be the kind of person to just send it in there. So to me, Brad Keselowski would be one of those people that I would want to see out there. And if I was a competitor, I would not want behind me. Next up, I would have Kevin Harvick. Uh, Kevin Harvick, he is, at this point in his career, he's got like that quiet confidence. And think back what a younger Kevin Harvick, not only was he good, but he was the scrapper, right? He was jumping over things. He was, you know, slamming, getting into it with Carl Edwards in the garage. Well, with age, that's kind of balanced out. And I think that is still all there except it's just quiet and kind of simmering, and his talent has also increased. So he's got both of those things going for him. His talent has matched his aggression, and I feel like that can strike at any time, and quiet confidence is something I do not like, or I would least fear if I was a competitor. Next up, Tyler Reddick. High side, running, you know, just he's got that unique style of putting it all out there. I remember being at Homestead with him last year, seeing the side of his nine car just completely scraped to crap, yet he was the champion, and not many people expected that of him. You know, he's smaller stature. Just in general, you may not expect much out of him, kind of a bigger kid, short and stocky, but he's not afraid to go out there and either wreck it or get the checkered flag. I like that from a driver. So he's a BM effort to me. And finally, Mr. Excitement himself. Tyler Ankrum. I know this. there's not much to go on with Mr. Young Ankrum, but again, just being able to watch him the entire season from pit road. Uh, you know, I watch every lap of the truck series from down there and yes, he, you know, he, he's young, he's 18. He's not the most talented yet. And he probably makes some mistakes in making some of these three wide moves or sending it up the middle. But j- just from a, uh, you know, a viewer's perspective, it is exciting to me. And I think in the future, you know, that can be honed in on a little bit, and he's young. And so to me, for the young crowd, I think a BMFer would be Mr. Tyler Ankrum. So that's my four. Brad Kozlowski, Kevin Harvick, Tyler Reddick, and Tyler Ankrum. I love how much fun you had in just naming those four. And also, Tyler Ankrum is going to absolutely get waxed in that race. <laughs> what race? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, they got to compete against <laughs> each other? I didn't think about this. Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> they got to compete against each other. Uh, okay. All right. Wh- where is your venue? I want to. I want to hear where would this race take place. Okay. Th- this wasn't too creative. I, I mean, I do like Homestead. I like Homestead as the venue. I mean, just going back to last year, previous episodes, we've talked about what a good race last year's Cup event was. Uh, I just think it, it lends to that. You know, the multiple grooves. So I don't mind putting it at Homestead and presenting the title belt. Every sport needs a title belt, first of all. Presenting the title belt for NASCAR's BMFer. This was easy, David. It's AJ Effin Foyt. I mean, the original BMFer, right? If, if there was someone I would think of who is his historic bad mother effer in racing, it's AJ Foyt, and he will hold off and hand over the title belt to whoever wins that matchup race. Okay, so your analog for Dwayne the Rock Johnson is AJ Foyt. That that is that is your like for like racing world comparison. 100%. I, just, I just want to get that on the right. Okay. Okay. All right. 100%. Okay. It was almost Mario I, Andretti, but AJ's got the grit. Mario, he's too pretty. He is very pretty. But <laughs> but and and a, and a kind soul. Exactly. Um okay. I I hear your four uh and your and your picks. I respect them. I'm I'm going to go over I've got three hard and fast rules here. 
for uh, what constitutes a, a NASCAR BMF. Number one, no gaudy stat lines. No. High wind totals mean you spent a lot of time in superior equipment. That is a no-no. Oh. This race is not for the casual fans. This is for the diehards. And the diehards respect the drivers who dig through the mud, either because they had no choice or because their personalities put them there. And that last caveat is very important. <laughs> Number two, no corporate shills, at least not to the degree that it's overkill. Here's a rule of thumb. If they've driven for Hendrick Motorsports, they are probably not BMFs. And maybe Tim Richmond and Ken Schrader are exempt from this. But all in all, a uh, a bad mother effer wouldn't wear an overstarched white button-down <laughs> tucked into slacks on media day. Come on. Okay. Last rule, and this, this is the most serious one. If dad bought your Cup Series ride, you aren't a BMF. Simple as that. Fans respect the grind. Okay, this is the race for the fans. All right. My four. NASCAR BMFs. Number one, Kyle Larson. The speed, the passing, the aggression, the ability to adjust lines mid-race, it's all there. He is the driver crew members on other teams enjoy watching and there is some truth to that i've spoken to a few crew members i will not reveal their names i've spoken out about how chip ganassi racing hasn't given him the best of anything really he's been a fringe championship contender and he's certainly that right now i don't know that he's ever been an outright favorite for the championship uh if he stays at ganassi i don't know that he ever will some things would have to change but for right now he is a driver who can reliably put on a show. So he's my first pick. My second pick is Ryan Priest <laughs> on the regional modified scene when drivers qualify uh, first, second, up front. They're inverted to the middle of the field for the start of the race. They learn how to pass, Alan. Ryan Priest, a former modified racer, passed his head off in the Xfinity series for JD Motorsports and for Joe Gibbs Racing. He was a machine, and he hasn't scratched the surface of that at JTG. There hasn't been a consistent running position for him, a consistent speed, and most often when that happens, we see drivers pass below the expected efficiency I'm looking forward to year two of Ryan Priest because there's more there than meets the eye. Casual fans might not know that, but the diehards do. The diehards know what's up strictly from his days racing in modifieds. So that's my second choice. My third pick is Corey LaJoy. He is a fan favorite already. He is restrained. I'll say from, uh, driving too hard for go fast racing. He can't be as aggressive as I saw him, uh, be in the KNN East and in the Arca series. He was a high peer guy in both of those divisions. He's the driver. I insist would look like a completely different driver in superior equipment. He had to adapt his driving style to suit his team. We lose sight of that sometimes, but even now, his output is pretty good, knocking on the door of the top 20 in peer, despite passing numbers that 
aren't great. And I might suggest if he took more risks, they might be better, but he can't really do that right now. He does have a relatively clean crash frequency. I realize he crashed at Texas, but that was a rare one. But I've seen him be unafraid to throw some elbows. Metaphorical, of course. Lest we forget, he was Kyle Larson's primary opponent for the KNN East title back in 2012. Both of those guys combined for seven wins in 14 races that year. And one of those wins for LaJoy was at Bowman Gray Stadium when he roughed up Brett Moffitt in retaliation after a final restart. And it was that win and that restart uh, that made Ryan McGee write about Corey for ESPN Magazine uh, when McGee made Corey LaJoy his pick for ESPN's Next, the NASCAR representative. You remember mm-hmm. ESPN always picked the future star of the sport, Corey LaJoy, was that guy for that year. He can still be that guy down the road. He he can do a lot in this sport. So we're going to put him in this race for now. The fourth and final pick, it's Kurt Busch. The restarts, the aggression, the experience, I'll, I'll call it, that comes uh, just with him. He might not be a fan favorite. Fans might not care for his personality or some of the things he's done off the track, but uh, that that's understandable, but where a fan might lose me is if they find him boring as a race car driver because I'm sorry, he's the least boring guy we got, and he'd probably dig being in a race like this. So we we got to have him in it, Alan. That's that's my four, and um, the track. I thought a lot about this. Uh, I thought about Homestead. Uh, I came down in mileage. I thought about Rockingham tires I and liked I, I, I kind of liked what I saw, but I'm going to settle on Winchester Speedway in Indiana, a fast half mile track maneuverable on all parts of the track, 35 degrees of banking. And this is only a four car race in my opinion and, and just in my mind. So it's enough room to move around, to search for grooves, but not so big as to not have contact, if you know what I mean. Also, uh, a track these guys aren't familiar with of late. I want a little bit of unknown in that regard. This is truly just a a be-all, end-all, one race to decide who is the baddest mother effer in NASCAR. And Alan, no disrespect to AJ Foyt, but my trophy presenter, as my Dwayne The Rock Johnson analog, I need a sharp-tongued showman who's earned the respect of every competitor in the garage thanks to years of hard work and success and everything he's touched turned to gold. Who's the auto racing version of that? It's John Force. Oh, what? I like it. Oh, nice. Legit, lovable. Probably can't censor the guy. He's probably going to drop the F-bomb when he's he's (laughs) trying to sell the pay-per-view we got going on. But that's the guy. Come on. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that is, that is my NASCAR BMF race. Four guys, Winchester, John Force presents the uh prevent presents the title belt i i'm i'm all for it i'm I'm excited for this i like it i like what you did with it who wins your race then larson or bush <laughs> what oh okay all right we're we're gonna i rock this up we're going to do identically prepared cars however a driver can have input on setup so i'm gonna say 
LaJoy and Priest will have a more fighting chance than they would on a normal Sunday. Um, and I don't know. I, I, I genuinely would, would pay to see that race. I'm, I, I, I would, I would yield towards, uh, uh, Larson winning, but I, I don't know. I've seen, I've seen Corey LaJoy take it to some dark places. I've seen Ryan <laughs> Priest do some outstanding stuff and modifieds. And I would I'd be absolutely terrified if I saw Kurt Busch in my rearview mirror. So I, I don't know. Yeah. See, I give mine to Tyler Reddick because Mr. Excitement, Tyler Ankrum, despite maybe his, his age and talent deficit, he's going to push it four wide, right? And that's going to take out Harvick and Kislowski, who are in the middle grooves. Meanwhile, Tyler Reddick is way up on the outside and he's going to avoid the wreck and he's going to go on for the win. Because Ankrum's going to go down swinging by making it exciting. He may not win. He clearly won't win. But he's going to make it exciting. And because of that, Tyler Reddick wins. Okay, so you did fan fiction. You took it one step further. <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's fine. That's a whole, that's a whole nother podcast episode. But, uh, I, okay, how about this? <laughs> we, we will, we will, we will post a poll on the Posreg Pod, uh, Twitter account. And n- nothing on the line. This is just for fun. We're just going to let our listeners vote which race would they like to see more. Your four at Homestead, my four at Winchester. Um, we'll, we'll see what, uh, we'll see who sells the most pay-per-views. How about that? I love it. I love it. And I know you listeners come here for some deep, uh, you know, analytic stuff and maybe some deep dives. So I appreciate you, uh, you putting up with our little, uh, fantasy scenario, but I think it was a good discussion, David, but. We can end uh, this episode how we always do by previewing the weekend. So to, to kind of swing it back, but it was a good discussion. But let's move on. Uh, no longer fantasy. Let's deal in reality because we got a triple header coming up in Phoenix. Trucks, Xfinity, and Cup. Let's preview the Cup race. We know two drivers are in for uh, the other two will be determined and Sunday's uh, Cup race. So what should we look at? When we're looking at Phoenix, what have past races taught? Remember, we have one race back in March, nine months ago already, though, uh, with this new package. And then we obviously, Phoenix, the, the track itself hasn't changed. I mean, the restart line did. So, but what can past Phoenix races teach us about this weekend? Ooh, that is a good question. So I, I'm going to look at past Phoenix races. Just figure out who, who ended up winning these races and how did they end up winning? I, I'm, I'm going to look at passing and I'm going to look at restarts, but let's start with passing. In the spring race at ISM Raceway, there were 5.3 passes per lap in that race according to NASCAR's own loop data. Uh, that is a low number but it is better than all three short tracks and in line with other one mile tracks uh like Dover or uh, or even Darlington even though Darlington's just a smidge bigger there will be drivers talking about the difficulty in passing and this is something that predates the rules package when it comes to Phoenix Phoenix is a track on which it is notoriously difficult to complete a pass among the top 27 drivers uh, ranked according to average running position in the spring race, just 11 of them scored positive surplus passing values, or in other words, 
earned pass differentials beyond what was expected from the speed of their car. And Alan Kyle Busch ranked as the day's most efficient passer in this regard. He had the best surplus passing value. He won the race. We've noted in past episodes about how the drivers who could pass exceptionally well at Dover scored good results at Dover with this rules package. Uh, this is another mile track, and that same maxim, at least from one race, seems to apply. Now, the other avenue for positional gain is restarts. Kyle Busch, again, fared very well here in the spring race. Seven positions gained on seven restart attempts, and he successfully defended position on six of those seven attempts. I'll say he was somewhat fortunate, though, with his lane assignment. Only one of those restarts came from a position containing a retention probability of less than 57%. So the odds were in his favor for the majority of the race. But of the top 14 restart positions in Phoenix, only five fall below 57%. ISM Raceway is kinder to its competitors than most tracks. The outside groove is the preferred. It retains... 61% of the time, but the inside isn't so bad. It's only 49% retention. That's That's close. You know, if you're paying attention to this podcast, that, that difference is not much compared to some of the tracks we talk about. And no coincidence that it's coming at this track. There's the dog leg there, right? The the start finish line has been moved. That dog leg provides some options for the inside line that we don't typically see at other tracks. So the big takeaway is that the driver who can master passing the traditional way and on restarts will likely earn a very good result. It's in the driver's hands to a degree. This track is not amenable to most drivers, but for the few who can get it, the reward will be great. And it it may be a case that the reward is a trip to Homestead to compete for the championship. A lot of mentioning of Kyle Busch for good reason, won the last two races there, including the one earlier this uh, year. But as I mentioned, that was nine months ago, David. Uh, does that win really matter all this time later is a question we're going to ask and answer. And I can tell you, again, for I, I talked with Kyle Larson at the shop for Race Hub this week. I asked him the same question. He says, absolutely not. I mean, just the way the sport evolves, if you're not familiar with it, I mean, <laughs> just how fast it changes. I mean, I mean, the, the changes and the generations of cars and the different technology that these teams learn and how quickly they learn it and the changes they apply. Uh, Kyle Larson says the, the March race makes – little relation to what we'll see this weekend with how good teams get and how much they improve. So David, I'll throw it to you as well. I mean, what, what can, can we really take a lot away from Kyle Busch's win in March or what can you look at when we think about all the potential for change in that time? Well, it sounds as if uh, Kyle Busch agrees with Kyle Larson because Kyle Busch was asked about this in Martinsville And he suggested that, look, that win came nine months ago. Car designs have changed. Uh, Teams have had time to build around this rules package and how it affects their drivers. And in short, teams are smarter now than they were uh, earlier in the year. And 
uh, look, uh, I, I'm aware that the same driver, Kevin Harvick, won a gazillion races in a row at Phoenix. None of those races contained a rules package that hardly any team knew anything about. So this race will be different. Bush can still win it, but if he does, it won't be because the rest of the field showed up with setups identical to what they had in the spring. It'll be because he's on to something new. If I had to guess, how he won this race matters to everyone. That he won doesn't matter to him or anyone. I think the the strategy is tried and true. If you can pass and you can restart, you can probably win this race. It's just going to be harder to achieve because teams have moved that ball forward. All right. Well, then, look, we have to pick or we, we have to make our choice or what we who could be one of the six, uh, the remaining contenders most likely to win outright. Uh, again, Kyle Busch, what he's done, does it matter? Doesn't sound like it, at least when you ask the competitors. So out of the six that are remaining, the six still eligible to make it to Homestead, who has the best potential for winning outright. I think the easy pick is Kyle Busch still. Again, won the last two races. Um, you know, he's got speed at this type of track. Uh, I don't know. Is that the easy answer, David? Kyle Busch? Um, easy answer. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just, I mean, just knowing what we, we've seen from him in the playoffs, I don't know that it's, so easy. Um, I'm inclined to say it's Denny Hamlin. Okay. He finished fifth in the spring. That probably doesn't matter now. But I respect his team's ability to get track position regardless of speed. The 11 team has five wins this year, and in only one of those wins do they have a race's fastest car. That was at Pocono. Ironically, the other team that sort of game plans this way is Joey Logano's 22 team. But I feel the 20-point cushion that Logano has creates a false sense of security. I, for one, would not be shocked if they begin Sunday's race playing defense, whereas Hamlin and Logano and Chase Elliott will all be on the offensive. And... Alan, in the 15 years I've been doing this, pouring over statistics, trying to make sense of this sport, it seems to me teams placed into a box and forced to execute a specific, rigid, race-long game plan tend to execute far better than teams simply playing not to lose. I would not be shocked if the winner of this race comes from one of the four drivers below the cutoff line right now in the playoffs. Drama, just baby. Because that drama. Yeah, but just because they're put into to that box, that's the only way that they're going to get in, but that means they're probably also going to have the smartest strategy and the best executed game plan. They're the most likely to do it. That creates a straight-up race then between Joey Logano and... And Kyle Bush, where if we if we're paying attention to the speeds, if we're not using our heart here and just looking at the stats, wouldn't that favor Joey Logano for in, in a straight up race between the two? You're right. That I mean that that is also going to be its own fight. I mean that that's one of the things that we like about this penultimate race is that there are races within a race, and uh, Bush versus Logano is. One of them, I don't know how attractive it's going to be because, again, I feel like they're going to be playing defense, whereas the other four are going to be strictly on offense. 
uh, and offense creates highlights. But I don't know. I mean, that is that is going to be a lot to take in. Look, we end every episode saying, what do we want to see? You know, David, I am a simpleton. So I want a late race restart, and I want one of the current bottom four to get the win just because I love the drama, right? I mean, if one of the bottom four gets the win, then either Logano or Kyle Busch is forced out, and it's a craziness at the end. If it comes to late race restart, even better. Again, watching the world burn. I'm a simpleton. I just want the drama, the storytelling of it all. So that's what I want to see on Sunday. I want something to tell. And uh, how about you? Well, uh, let's let's just live in a world right now where we assume Kyle Busch and Joey Logano, since they are above the cutoff, they both get in and they are into Homestead. That is the same exact championship for as 2018 hmm. and I've already seen that race. <laughs> I don't want to see that. So, um, no, sorry. I, I want to see the winner come from one of the four drivers below the cutoff line. And if it's Hamlin, if it's Larson, if, if it's Chase Elliott, uh, I think all the better because they provide more viable opposition to Martin Truex and Kevin Harvick in a one race scenario than Joey Logano or Kyle Busch in their current run of form. Um, that's it. I mean, I, I could, I could easily eat those words. I could be wrong. It is one race after all, but, uh, I'm going to hedge my bets and, uh, hope that, um, one of the, one of the teams that has some things figured out during the playoffs gets through. I like it. We'll see what happens in Phoenix. Another good episode of Positive Regression. We are available, don't forget, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and Luminary. Wherever you listen to your podcasts, we are available. If you like what you are hearing, and we know you do, it's been such a fun season so far, but your help in spreading the word about this podcast, it helps so much. It helps us gain some visibility. So please leave us a rating or a review. We would love to hear and see it. Tell your friends as well. Word of mouth is also much, much appreciated. If you have any questions, we want to answer them right here on this podcast. Reach out on Twitter at posregpod, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. David, always busy. What are you working on? Uh, well, I mentioned it earlier in the episode. I looked into the drivers and teams fastest when a playoff race is on the line in crunch time. Who rose to the occasion? Who folded? There were some surprises in there, and uh, and that is on The Athletic, uh, so check that out. And also, the first two of my four in-depth scouting reports on each of the championship four will hit The Athletic later in the week. Uh, the first two, obviously, will be on Martin Truex and Kevin Harvick. Strengths, weaknesses, all the detail you expect from a David Smith column. I pulled Hell no yeah. punches, so uh, please uh, check out all of those items. Good stuff, and uh, I've said it a few times already this podcast, but if you're listening on Thursday morning, thank you for being a subscriber, first of all. But check out our visit. Uh, it'll be on Race Hub on Thursday with Kyle Larson. He had a lot of good stuff to say about pressure, about, remember the Ryan Newman incident from 2014? He may be in that position come the end of Phoenix to knock some someone out of the way. Maybe it'd be Ryan Newman. Uh, it was a good conversation. So make sure you watch that. Check my Twitter feed for that. And also on Thursday's edition of Race Hub, and I'll put it up on Twitter as well. Uh, looking back at 2007, David, if you remember Team Hendrick 
set the bar with 18 victories that season. With one more victory, Joe Gibbs Racing ties that. So I took a look back at 2007 Hendrick team. If you remember, 10 wins for Jimmy Johnson, 6 wins for Jeff Gordon. An epic duel toward the end of that season for the title between Johnson and Gordon. It was fun to look back on. And we've talked about it before on here, I believe, but that was the year Casey Mears also won. All 400 cars got to win that year. So it was a fun essay to look back on. So check out my Twitter feed for that, at Alan Kavana. And, of course, I'll be down in the pits for FS1 Truck Series playoff as well. They're determining no one is locked in to Homestead for the trucks yet. So really legitimately, I mean, Brett Moffitt's probably okay, but anyone else having trouble early on in that race, no one is safe in terms of getting to Homestead. So make sure you just watch racing all weekend. FS1, the truck race on Friday, race day on Sunday. It's going to be a great weekend, David. This has been a fun episode. I agree. We uh, we might have to uh, stick back to the nerdy stuff uh, next episode, but, you know, uh, going going a little whimsical never hurts anyone. Never hurts anyone at all. Well, thank you for listening. For David Smith, I'm Alan Kavana. We'll see you next week where it'll be one to go. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner. Really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal.